Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Hello, welcome to the fourth of our weekly podcast for practice managers. This is a recording of the webinar run on Wednesday, April the 22nd. Yeah, I mean, first of all, quite sadly, I'd like to pay tribute to Dr. Craig Wakeham, who sadly died at the weekend, who was a GP in Dorset, served on the LNC for many years, very dedicated GP who got involved in lots of things to try and improve patient care in Dorset. Craig was 59, um, otherwise fit and well, um, and it really does bring it home how this deadly disease can affect anyone in um, our community, but also our friends and colleagues. So I'd just like to pay tribute to Craig for all he did, and he'll be a sad loss to, to all. Um, moving on, if we look at how COVID is affecting us, around the all the areas, things are pretty stable in the hospitals. The number of people being ventilated remains pretty much the same. Um, the number of people in critical care, again, remains the same. You won't be surprised that there um, is a pr higher percentage of males and females, more elderly people than younger people. Um, we don't have as big an ethnic mix in most of our areas, different in some of the cities, but um, we're not seeing some of that, which we're seeing in London and other cities where clearly there's something in ethnic minorities that puts them at greater risk. Um, as the hospitals are coping, um, the, the sort of next stage, which we continue the lockdown for another three weeks, but there is beginning to be discussions about what do we do next? So I'm sure in most of your practices, you're beginning to get some of the patients coming back. Well, I've waited this long, but now I need something sorted out. So the, not just the urgent general practice, but more of the routine general practice is beginning to um, come back. Also, hospitals are looking at if they um, we carry on with the COVID for a few more months, then how the risk is they build up a lot of um, elective care, routine care, but also urgent care, which then becomes a major issue how we deal with that further down the line. So there are already discussions which various people talking about rebuild, reboot, um, restructure um, to a reset. Now, that is community, general practice and secondary care. And if you think of the fantastic transformation that's occurred in general practice, absolutely shows why general practice as a small, flexible, innovative unit can just do transformation at pace, which other parts of the NHS can't do. What we don't want to do is get to the end of this and then go back and reset it at where we were before. With the removal of some of the regulations, some of the governance, we've been allowed to do things that we have struggled to do before. So some of those discussions about how we move back to what, it will, what the new normal will be is actually at the ground, um, you know, frontline coalface. We need to be influencing what that might be in terms of building on the stuff we've done about collaboration, of video consultations, working in a different way, and building into that with what secondary care and community care can do differently, not only to support patients, but actually to support us. So that, I think, is going to be a major topic of conversation because the government is quite fearful of allowing social distancing to stop too soon, quite rightly, because I think many people who are modelling it and looking at it believe we'll get a an increase and a spike of activity and deaths if we stop the social distancings we've got at the moment. If we move to a, a more um, 
selective approach and that's and I have no inside knowledge but that is how I see it's likely to go that they will allow certain things to happen or certain groups to happen what they don't want is suddenly business as usual and everybody coming back to general practice in the normal way not least because of the protection to you and your staff so one of the difficult discussions in terms of there's no clear and easy answer is how do we start routine appointments or more you know those things that we are going to need to do whether that's management of long-term conditions health promotion etc etc so that that will be a topic of conversation over the coming weeks um, with no conclusion at the moment the main bank holiday it seems pretty clear to most of us that the first may bank holiday will no longer be an nhs bank holiday there is supposed to be an announcement this week um, so watch this space but I would plan for being open, whether it's full opening or not, we don't know yet, but we should hear later on. Um, PPE, hot topic on the news um, every night when the ministers and then NHS England and the PHE people speak. I have to say locally, it seems that we're okay, that we, um, when we go around different clinical directors of PCNs and we talk to um, CCGs and others, we do have enough reserves locally. If practice are having problems, then you know the routes to get PPE and go to the CCGs. But if you really can't get PPE, could you come and let us know? Because as far as we're aware, there are enough stocks and when people are running low, they are able to get new stocks and the CCGs have got um, deliveries that are coming in centrally and there's been a couple of occasions where practices have needed to borrow PPE from the hospital and that's worked out okay. Um, testing is um, in, in my view is being overplayed in a way about what testing will do for us. Um, it's really important <clears throat> when you're looking at big populations but when you see people coming through an airport and get their temperature test, that is worse than useless. That Doing a temperature at the airport is not going to tell you whether they've got COVID or not. Also, for the testing, it is only you need to get a window between day three and day five. And a negative test is often repeated in the hospital. And therefore, they can end up with um, a second and third test before they become positive. So if we're going to use testing, we need to make sure there's a robust pathway. And um, you will see that there is a national network of testing sites coming online. Um, Portsmouth, I think, has come online today. There's, you know, Gatwick. There's um, Bournemouth is going to come online in the next week or so. There's Exeter, I think, Swindon and Bristol. They are looking at more community-based testing, but that's not there at the moment. And it seems to me that they're going to be some time before they can get to 100,000 tests a day. What's What's more important is what we do with those tests. Um, in terms of um, something I sent out in my newsletter, today I think is the first part of the trial for the COVID vaccine, which is starting in Southampton. Um, it's being done in Oxford and two or three other centres, but Southampton is linked with Oxford um, and they're getting 550 volunteers. And as I say, the first one should have been tested today. Um, Finally, uh, I want to just talk about the CCAS service, which has caused a lot of um, challenge in practices. Can I just say, the, sometimes I don't think things are explained terribly well, and it causes uh, more concern than it should do. The CCAS service was planned when 
uh, hospitals were looked as if they were going to get overrun and the corollary of that is general practice would come overrun. So the CCAS service is part of 111 and the idea would be that if people have COVID or suspected COVID, they'd go to online and then go to 111, um, the CCAS service within 111. The clinicians there would then triage them into, you need to go to hospital, you can self-care, you probably do need some further input locally. And it's only those that then would be booked into general practice, not to a triage slot, not to a face-to-face appointment. So the idea of the CCAS was to help practices by filtering out a lot of patients before they came to the practice. The one in 500 is just an arbitrary figure. Most practices that in areas where CCAS has been up and running aren't using anywhere near that number. But I know that's caused a lot of problems. What you need is just a, a separate screen or separate clinic where you put those patients in. I know in Dorset and in Southampton, they're looking at those patients not going to practices, but going to um, either the improved access service or the federation. So some, some areas are trying to do it in different ways. But hopefully, as we're not predicted to get the massive rise that we were when CCAS was invented and, and sort of implemented, um, that um, seems to be okay. The, the final thing really I'd like to say is um, I think you're all doing a fantastic job. It's not just um, the GPs and the practice nurses. You as practice managers doing an amazing job trying to coordinate all these very difficult people. Um, Moving forward, just I mean, not a plea so much, but it's interesting how things have changed where practice managers were contacting us because they couldn't find a locum for love nor money. And if they could, there were some eye-watering numbers talked about. We're now getting lots of locums approach us because there's no work for locums and they're looking for work. So if any of you are short of doctors, um, think about contacting us because we've got lots of people who are looking for things to do, dare I say. Um, so I think I'll stop there, Louise. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Nigel. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thanks for that. I think we'll go straight to uh, Michelle Lombardi, who's also got a couple of updates for us. Um, and then we'll, um, we'll go to questions a little bit later. But um, Michelle, over to you. Thank you. Thanks, Louise. So there was a few things that I just wanted to mention, basically the queries that we're getting into the office. So these are around referrals, fit notes, registrations of patients and just a very brief update on shielding. So I'll start with shielding. Um, We're aware now, I just wanted to say that the list of patients who have self-identified as needing to shield, practices I believe should have received their lists and the deadline has extended to the 28th of April. Um, So practices can continue to work through those. Um, referrals. We are getting increasing number of referral uh, queries around this. The guidance um, NHSEI issued last week was that practices need to continue to refer into secondary care. However, I think there are a number of areas that are rejecting these referrals. I think the problem that that has occurred is that obviously the hospitals need to put back their systems and get the people in place to refer to to manage these referrals. So please just bear with them. They are also trying to ensure that they implement their guidance around this. So continue to do what you've been doing. Fit notes, again, we're getting huge amounts of queries on fit notes, particularly around wet signatures. So 
The regulations do say, state that you need a wet signature, but there have been some workarounds identified for practices to help with this. So I think the first thing to say is anybody that's in self-isolation for two weeks shouldn't need a fit note. They use the isolation letter or note template that's available on various websites. The second option is um, only came out yesterday and Dawn's going to kindly link in the guidance that's come from NHS EI, uh, which basically says you print out the fit note, you sign it as obviously as a wet signature, you then scan it back in and then you can email that to the patient. So that's one option. I know that Arden's also have um, issued uh, a, a process which it's slightly different to NHSEI and is a bit slicker, but we're not sure whether it meets what's required around wet signatures. I'm not sure how you would check the difference, to be honest, but which basically means you sign a piece of paper, you scan it in, you then take that as your wet signature and apply it to a fit note, and then you would then and PDF it and then send it off to um, to the patient. So there two there's two options there that potentially enable you to use to do, still do a wet signature. Um, but not in the truest sense of a, of a wet signature, if that makes sense. Um, if, if employers are really, are, you are really struggling with employers, I suppose the only other way is to print it, sign it and post it back to the patient. There will be a delay with that. You know, Royal Mail are, that, you know, the delays, they're um, obviously re reduced staff, etc. Um, but it's worth having a look at the guidance that NHS EI released yesterday. Um, registration is another one that I wanted to mention. So we've had some queries where patients, where it's been identified that patients have moved area. Um, and that can either be by verbally the patient um, updating the practice or through um, identifying different um, addresses on correspondence. The issue is that when, say, that's identified, the practice will either verbally or, or formally write to the patient and say, you've got 30 days to register elsewhere because you're out of our area. But just to remind practices, for those 30 days, you are still, or up to the point they register with another practice, you are still responsible for those patients. And therefore, if they need medication or if they need to be seen, until they have registered with another practice up to the 30-day mark, then you still need to provide them with care. Um, after the 30 days, you can then remove them from your system and they will need to register elsewhere if they haven't done so already. Um, and I think that I've covered the bits that I want to cover. I think that's my section done. Okay, thank you, Michelle. Um, I think we'll just go on to um, Lisa Harding now, who is just going to update us a little bit about um, some data protection and some pharmacy information. Yeah, thanks, Louise. And just to confirm that um, Dawn is uploading all of this information to the website, so it's all um, available there already, I think. Um, few headlines, LMC Law have updated the employee privacy notice for us, that's on the website, just to reflect home working. So if you want to update that, there's some very simple wording, just an extra paragraph that you may want to slip in. Uh, so that was just it on, um, on GDPR type issues. Um, you may have seen yesterday today that the NHS app has been, the functionality has been updated so that patients can nominate a pharmacy for EPS for repeat prescriptions. So that's now possible. I understand that it's not yet enabled for dispensing practices yet, so, but hopefully that will come through the line fairly soon. Um, we've had a few practices, uh, particularly dispensing practices, asking about um, 
using volunteers to pick up prescriptions, uh, both at pharmacies and within the practices. Um, just to say that the PSNC has published some quite useful guidance around templates and good practice for using volunteers, um, which is easily available on their website. I think we have posted that on our website. Um, obviously, the NHS volunteer scheme is now operational. Equally for dispensing practices, the DDA has published some really good guidance for dispensing practices. You do have to be a member, so you do have to subscribe, but they're not, it's a very reasonable rate if you don't subscribe already. Um, and I think that was more or less it. The other bit that we were just gonna mention um, that uh, you may have seen that, um, HGB drivers, uh, they've made some temporary temporary changes so that drivers will be able to receive a temporary one-year license providing they don't have any medical conditions that affect their driving and their current license expires in 2020. Um, those with health issues will st still need to declare them and those with health issues that prevent them from driving safely will not have their re license renewed. So that's um, hopeful that would reduce the burden on practices a little. As yet, um, we're still waiting for taxi medicals to be addressed fully, but obviously that's a bit more complex because a lot of the um, taxi medicals are managed by the local authorities, so it's it's very much a local decision. Um, but as I say, that's that's all available on our website. Okay, thank you, Lisa. That's really helpful. Okay, so we'll just go to some questions now. Um, thank you for your questions coming in on the Zoom chat. That's really helpful. Um, Nigel, this is probably to you. Um, are there going to be any concessions to practices who are acting as hot sites? I imagine concessions being, do they have to still compete as many targets? I don't think it's concessions as far as monetary value goes, but I don't know, Nigel, whether you can add something to that. So I don't think there's any specific concessions, only that, you know, a lot of the requirements of reporting of things that we need to do up till October have been removed. So, um, you know, I think the ask for forgiveness, not permission is really important at the moment. So I think largely, so long as you're delivering the service to your patients, the CCGs are being generally very supportive. Um, so I think it's just really a case of rather than the individual practice contracts and saying, you know, you must do X or Y, um, CCGs have been quite flexible. And I think it's amazing how practices are collaborating, sharing resources and working together in a geographical basis. So I think it's really more up to you how you work in those areas rather than there's um, any specific concessions unless Len wants to come back with what he's particularly looking for. Like you say, I think we need to be really mindful that any practice that incurs additional expense for COVID is not out of pocket. But also remembering that NHS England have said there will be no contractual breaches over the next six months, that the money that was going into the PCN DES is still going in, but um, aims for practices to re-divert their time and effort towards dealing with COVID. And also, you know, looking at the change in the number of patients coming in and needing to be seen but as time goes forward um i don't you know i can't see how practices can not employ locums and then decide that they'll um claim additional money for covid related stuff but having said that if you truly are incurring additional expenses for covid then record it and claim for it okay thank you um helene are you there now i think you might be can you hear me Marvellous, we can, yeah. If you just said to give us a little nurse update, that would be lovely. 
Hi, good afternoon, everybody from Wales, from very sunny Wales. Um, we thought it'd be quite helpful to have sort of a conversation with some nurses about how, how it felt for them, really, in general practice. And we did a podcast the uh, uh, earlier on this week, which I know has been uploaded now to our website. And um, it's been re really positive, actually. I mean, obviously, there have been some challenges uh, that they faced, but the positive things that to come out of it really were the use of video consultations and telephone consultations and how that could be taken forward. Um, feedback from patients would suggest that they, they like it, they really value it. They've, they've certainly valued the contact. Obviously, some of them be very apprehensive about coming into practice. Um, and the other thing was patients self-managing and taking responsibility for their own health. And um, I think Louise has sent information through about what we're trying to promote now is the use of video consultations around the management of long-term conditions, and there is some funding and, and some training available for that. The other positives were um, they they loved the opportunity to work closer as teams. That was both within the practice and um, across the PCNs, um, and also with their other other colleagues, such as district nursing, and looking more to sort of developing an integrated approach to um, to to patient care. We also talked about how some other things have changed. So, you know, traditionally, the role of the practice nurse wasn't to undertake home visits, certainly not for the majority of them. And those that have done it have really, really enjoyed it. Um, and again, they've enjoyed the networking with other colleagues and learning from other colleagues. And I think that's something that will potentially change, um, change in practice in the future. So on the whole, actually, very supportive. They absolutely they spoke about the value of support from yourselves as managers um, and how um, the managers have been sort of very organized, very methodical in their approach, which is which has been fantastic. And some of the issues, again, that they, we need to think about, obviously, is um, mental health and well-being. You know, what it feels like when we, we come out of this hamster running on this wheel and we all sort of sit down and take a, take a pause, really. And I know Louise has, is thinking of some resources that practices can have um, to support all of us through that through that uh, crisis. So we also produced a document. Um, it's about supporting nurses during COVID, uh, looking at what can be done now and how can it be done. And we've, we've put some links on that for so think into the future. And that should be available on our website today. Lovely, Helene. Um, that's really helpful. I think one of the things we thought might be good going forward is this sort of forum for nurses to talk um, with you sort of leading it from a nursing point of view. So I just wonder if perhaps managers would like to sort of perhaps chat about how whether they think this is useful. And over 100 of you are in live today, so hopefully you do think it's useful. Um, but if you'd like us to do a similar thing, obviously let um, by Helene um, for the nurses then please let us know because all we want to do is help you out there but as I say we don't want to clog up your time or waste your time um, we certainly are looking at support for you there's a national coaching support offer for all people working in primary care that was launched last week there's another webinar on it this coming Friday and I'll send out as much as I can to you on that we've also got a support page um, for practices and as Helene said I'm also talking to Samaritans who um, nationally um, are looking at what they can do now and what they can do later on so um, please do yes bear us in mind and if you can't find anything and we know it's it's information overload and sometimes you can't find what you need do just um, email us in either individually or to the office at Wessex LMCs and we will certainly help you and um, just one thing Helene and um, I Queries just come in particularly for district nurses. So district nurses seem to be overloaded with their existing caseload, so they are unwilling or are unable to take on any more, i.e., shielding patients. Is there anything you can suggest? Um, is that is that a national issue? Do you know? I 
think that's a national issue. Um, to be perfectly honest, I, if you if you talk to a lot of nurses, they're saying that you know they they are having to share the workload because there is no overburdened with those that are shielding. I think also though it depends. You know, for example, for dressings, we put some information on the document about how this could be done differently, uh, the type of dressings, the frequency, how the dressings need to be changed. You know, could the patients be encouraged to take down the dressings before the nurses go into the home to reduce the time that's spent in the home? Um, could carers be taught how to do it? Could patients themselves be taught how to do it? And the same really with uh, the use of injections. You know, are all eye injections necessary? they be changed to oral use or can patients actually be, be taught how to do themselves so I'm hoping the document will come out and I'm very happy to uh, you know I'm sure Louise can add it to the end of this um this uh, this webinar that you can have a look at it as well and and, and you can um make it fit really for, for your practice and, and how it fits with you and your patients and it is very much about workload for capacity as well Brilliant. Thank you. Um, there's a n number of chats coming in saying, yes, please, one of these for nurses. So you might have your work cut out doing that for nurses. I think long time. Great. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks very much. That's brilliant. Um, just want to talking about a little bit about the um, support. So NHS have talked about Shiny Minds app, but the cost to us is £4,000. Will this be re reimbursed? We've got no idea, but there's also a lot of free apps. So have a look on our website, the COVID um, support for practices area. Um, there's a page there with all sorts of free stuff. So I would imagine they'd say, look at the free stuff before we're going to reimburse you for anything paid for. But I don't know. That is just my opinion. So have a look. Nigel, you want to know about PPE. It looks like masks are a bit of a problem for a lot of, a lot of our practices. That seems to be more than anything else. And also some surface wipes. Um, seems to be quite an issue getting hold of those. Um, care homes. Hold on, hold on. Oh, go on so, so two things. One is I think surface wipes are a problem everywhere. You can't get them in the supermarket. I don't know quite why, what everybody's doing with them. So I think there are ways that people are compromising. The masks, there are two questions there. One, um, I will go back to the CCGs about face masks because I, I know there is an issue um, in some parts, but you know it depends where the deliveries are um and see whether you can um i mean i don't think ccg should just be sending it back and saying well not our problem over to you so i might pick that up with karen outside this meeting um ffp3 masks um i think we need to be clear that ffp3 masks are only used in aerosol generating procedures they're not the normal face masks so you know if you're doing home visits or in a home visiting hub you shouldn't need ffp3 masks and unless they're properly fitted they're actually um, we'll let viruses in. So for most of what we're, well, for what we're doing in general practice, we should only need surgical face masks. We shouldn't need anything else. Okay, um, thank you, Nigel. I mean, Helene, back to you. There's a question of nurses and HCAs carrying out home visits. They like to go in twos. Is that, oh, yeah. is that guidance? Is that, what, what do you suggest about that? That's not official guidance. I have heard it's happening. Uh, I think obviously, and I can see why. I know one of the, the um, somebody I spoke to gave an example of one goes, sounds awful, one goes dirty and one goes clean. Um, you know, particularly if you're going up to high rise flats and like that, it, it allows the person who's um, been dressed up in their, off their PPE to keep it clean. So the other person presses the buttons or, um, you know, carries the bags up, etc. One of our GP fellows and myself, actually, we have um, written some guidance information, which, again, it is just guidance. It's up to you to interpret it as you wish on um, the use of PPEs um, during home visits, which you might find helpful, and we can share that with you. 
I think the choice of whether it should be one individual or two is very much up to you as, as, a, as a practice to look at the pros and cons and, and do a risk assessment around that. So it's right here. I can see no reason whatsoever that you need to go in twos no. um, unless there is a specific reason. Helene's and Lizzie's guidance is really useful. The use of PPEs. I mean, you're not going to send GPs out in twos. And, you know, they've got to press the buzzer and get in. There are safe ways that you can do home visits, and that's what everybody should follow. So I personally can't see any reason why, you know, actually if you put two people in, you're doubling the risk of introducing COVID to the patient, and um, actually you're increasing the risk to yourself. So personally, I can't see why that would be necessary. Okay, I think you might. Can I just add, some practices are using black cabs. Uh, taxis to take staff around so they don't have to use their own cars so it's very variable okay we'll move on from that i think that debate will probably go on for a little while probably after the end of the webinar okay so testing and um, Nigel mentioned testing who should we refer to how should we refer to what what how do we access testing um what i would do is rather than me give you my opinion the each of the systems are going to send all that information out to practices Okay, lovely, thank you. And one more for you, Nigel. Um, please, can you persuade locums to join as a, in a substantive post? That would be really helpful rather than just being locums. And locums don't seem to be terribly aware of what changes there are happening so quickly, so then sometimes they're more hassle than they were. So I think there are, you know, where locums were at one stage saying that being a locum gave them more freedom, um, better financial things, and more flexibility. Now some of them are beginning to feel that's not the... Um, it's not the panacea it was before. So we are seeing more locums applying for substantial roles. I think you're right. I think sometimes um, practice managers and therefore the GPs in each practice are more aware of what's going on with Shielded, with the discussions about long-term conditions, etc. There is, uh, I sent out uh, over the weekend, a new locum contract, which you could use temporarily. I would hope that if the need arises and locums are employed in practices over a period of time, so they get some of the benefits like death in service benefits or other things, going forward, I think more will take up substantial roles within practices rather than just remaining as locums. Not least, because I think as we move forward, using the technology and flexibility of home working, video consultations, etc. I think there will be more GPs who will come into the substantive workforce and want regular employment rather than the um, rather ad hoc stuff um, that might happen in the future. Okay, thanks, Nigel. Um, Michelle, I think um, over to you now. There's a frustration that we understand about the referrals to hospitals, but it's just frustrating that the practices are referring and they're getting them chucked back. So why aren't they holding them and sorting them? There is an understanding that there's a difficulty, but it's very frustrating when they get I mean, one's just in Swindon. They've just, everything's just been thrown back at them. So can I answer that, Louise? The, the, we, we've been having discussed in all the systems about whether general practice should hold routine referrals whether we should make the referrals and then keep them in practices and look three months later, or whether we should refer them to the hospital and the fear that the hospital would just lose them all. Now, nationally, there's been an agreement, which is that we should carry on with routine referrals and the hospital should triage them and then manage them appropriately. So they could be done by a telephone call, they could be done by a video consultation with the consultant, or they could be put on a routine list um, and some of the hospitals are doing that for some months ahead. And the difference is whether this is something that is a life-threatening or potentially life-shortening 
thing that's being referred or whether it's something that, you know, you've got OA knee and whether it's done now or in 12 months time isn't going to affect your length of life. It might affect your quality of life. Now, what NHS England has said is actually we should refer and the hospital should then triage. There are the hospitals are busy in ITU and critical care, but actually there are quite a lot of consultants. If you take consultant surgeons and others who are in the hospital, all routine stuff's been cancelled. Emergency stuff has gone down by about 50 percent. So it's not that they're overburdened with the work. So they are looking at how they triage it and how they work with that. So at the moment, when we've talked to hospitals, they aren't aware of the national guidance. We seem to be much more up to date with what's been agreed than they are. So we're just waiting for that to to work through. Okay, I think there's there's frustration, as I'm sure you can imagine on the chat, but so a lot of these referrals that are being returned were made pre-COVID, so that seems another challenge for us. Um, Michelle, um, back to fit notes, Um, employers, um, employees are at home self-shielding, the employer wants to pay them SSP, but say they need a fit note, so what would you do in in that situation? My apologies, I should have covered that when I did my update, so we're aware there is a sort of gap for these patients, the ones that potentially are in the at-risk group um, and are making the decision to self-isolate or shield. Um, well, it, it's going to be down to uh, down to the GPs to make a decision and whether they feel that it's appropriate to issue a fit note. If, it, if they feel it's appropriate and they're being sensible with the action that they're taking, then you can follow the um, guidance we've mentioned that was, has been released with NHSEI or Ardens you are able to issue fit notes for up to 13 weeks under existing guidance. So that is allowable. Um, But we also suggest that you might want to note in their medical record that you're issuing these fit notes in line with national guidance as they're in the at-risk group and they have taken the decision to self-shield. Okay, thank you. And Michelle, if you just hold there, because I think you might be able to answer this too. Um, smears, there's a sort of six, three to six month delay, which we all understand. But then who's going to be recontacting the patients? Is that the practices or is that done? Who, what, what's going to happen with that? Essentially, Nigel's shaking his head, so he might want to chip in. Um, so we're, I'm on a call tomorrow discussing all the cancer screening. My understanding is that um, the ordinary you know that the system will be rebooted in um potentially three months time which they'll review to to rebook the routine smear so it won't be practices calling them it will be the 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 existing system okay so kind of watch this space at the moment for that one um there's still some chatter the bma is saying that practices might be allowed to furlough some staff have you heard any more about that nationally um nigel so um actually i think the advice is different to that the bma has been saying as practices, we get a fund for reimbursing staff, which comes through our global sum or PMS budget. And the advice from the government is furloughing is not for public bodies who are funded for employees. So I think it would be wrong for practices to furlough staff when they've got money coming into their um, you know, baseline funding for those staff. OK, Lisa, I think you wanted to come in and say something with that. Yes, um, only I think possibly, Len, you might have seen it in the the recent BMA guidance that was published yesterday. There is a very brief mention from the BMA that in some very exceptional circumstances, um, staff who aren't reimbursed, where there are additional costs, may qualify for furloughing, but it's it's very nonspecific. 
Thanks, Lisa. Michelle, were you going to add something in addition to that? I was going to say the same. Okay, that's lovely. Um, I think that's probably it for the questions now. Um, thank you very much, everybody, for joining in. Thank you very much for all you're doing out there. And please remember we're here if we can help you in any way. But thank you very much. Keep safe and see you next week. Wessex LMCs, supporting you and your practice.